Jeffrey Pedernera. And I'm Mendes Guzman. And this is Film Cube. And we have music. Listen to it roll. And a logo. So check out our Facebook and like it if you haven't already. Now, I wanted to get into last week, just before we get into this week's episode. I actually have a little change of heart. Um, I said 2001, A Space Odyssey, was my choice for someone's first film. Right. But I have a nasty habit of recommending the most difficult entries when I'm introducing someone to something. A little story time. Um, one time in college, there was this guy who had never heard of Radiohead. I don't know how you go your whole life never hearing about Radiohead. But I want to introduce him because obviously you need to when, so, you, when you're encountered with some sort of specimen like that. But instead of showing him Creep or Paranoid Android or any other one of those big hits that are instantly grabbable, I played Lotus Flower off King of Limbs, <laughs> which obviously didn't go down well because even though it's a great song, someone who has been hearing people praise Radiohead for the past week is not <laughs> going to be like, what's so special about this? So with that in mind, I thought about it and Jurassic Park pretty much gets at all those same things that I was talking about, but it's more fun and easy approachable yeah yeah not as um opaque as as you notice i did agree with you for most of the previous episode but jurassic park is the better choice maybe the second movie i pop on like see look this is how fun movies can be and then this is how (laughs) smart they can be (laughs) it'll be interesting okay so that's all i wanted to mention from last week but andres what did we watch this week so this week we watched spy and I finished work and I met up with you to watch it and I was telling all my friends that I was gonna we were gonna watch a movie when they asked me which movie and I told them Spy they all turned around and was like why yeah I remember watching that initial trailer and being like ooh this is gonna suck yeah it did not <laughs> they didn't look like it was gonna be that good which is another reason you shouldn't watch trailers which I've stopped doing since yeah I've looked at my YouTube like subscription page and every single day there's like three new final trailers for Jurassic World and I'm like no it's a week away I'm don't yeah, need to I see a hundred clips like at most i'll watch an initial trailer just to get an idea of what a movie is even though trailers lie about that all the time but you know just to get a sense of what's coming up in the future but other than that i'm like i don't pay attention to them especially after the first one that makes sense that's a i should learn how to be like that more often instead of watching every single clip and hell this movie's proof because the friggin movie's great <laughs> it's hilarious <laughs> the funniest movie i've probably seen the most i've laughed at since kingsman um i don't know because i saw what we do in the shadows after kingsman, oh right I love that we, movie. we did see that yeah but i mean like good to bring up kingsman because this is the year of the subversive spy movie yeah it's only june we have two so far and then we're also getting uh, actual bond later in the year yeah we're getting specter and the man from Spect- uncle is that coming out this year yeah by oh, guy Ritchie, right Oh, damn. Yeah, I didn't even know that. So this is the year of the spy. I, and if they keep up with uh, these these two so far, it uh, it's going to be gonna great. Be, yeah, I mean, what's great about Kingsman Spy is that they're both sort of subverting the Bond stereotypes in different ways. Like, Kingsman makes the joke literal. Right. And basically points to all the horrible things about Bond and amps them up so that they're obviously atrocious. Whereas with Spy... It's as simple as putting a woman in the place of Bond. And -hmm. we get her reactions to all this gross machismo and a fantastic Jason Statham playing a bumbling idiot. (laughs) 
I love Jason Statham in this movie. He, I think he like stole every scene. I know some people were comparing him to like uh, the like an actual living Chuck Norris joke. <laughs> yeah, and it's just it every like he he goes on these rants kind of similar to him, and they just make me laugh every time. He has my favorite scene in the in the movie where it's towards the end. Spoilers, but uh. He gets busts through a door and he gets caught on the handle. Oh, and the like it and knocks himself out. In, in the entire movie, it's him kind of like proving himself. He's just like, oh yeah, I ripped out my arm and then with my other arm, I put it back into its place. <laughs> I don't think that's medically possible. Um, so he just like, like I was driving a car and on fire. <laughs> it wasn't the car that was on fire? Was I me. was on yeah. fire. So he goes on. Like trying to be like, I'm the best that we have. I'm the best that we have. And, he's and the one when he's he f- fucking everything when up. When he finally shows up and actually does something, he messes up. It's the best. <laughs> um, but getting into Statham, it um, like actually, I should probably clarify before the movie is making a point of making Melissa McCarthy be this like strong and independent woman, which isn't to say that she's like flawless and she's like a bond character a superhero essentially she has like uh, weaknesses and stuff right and a lot of the comedy which is great about it it doesn't come from us laughing at her right because she's always outmatched in every single like matchup like she has a car chase but she's in a scooter right because that's <laughs> all she could really grab uh-huh. uh or she's in that knife fight but she has a frying pan yeah. So she's not outmatched because of her weight or because of whatever other all these all these uh, superficial reasons. It's always just because the circumstances have her being uh, outmatched, which is I said she she makes a fantastic action comedy star in the vein of Jackie Chan because that was his whole thing. That yeah, he's great, but he's always at a disadvantage whether mm-hmm. it's because he's facing an army by himself <laughs> or his only weapon is a ladder kind of thing, you know. I remember that sequence. Yeah, and so. Uh, having the movie establish all this i was the only moment in the movie where i was a little like oh i don't know if this is the right decision was at the very end when it's revealed that um she slept with jason statham's character (laughs) and i was like don't get me wrong i was i figured we'd get a scene where she'd slept slept with one of the guys that had been introduced right because you know it's her right and she's established as this um a sexual person and that's fine what's wrong is that this is the guy that's been braiding her the whole movie, you know? And I, mean, I don't know, it's, it's not I wrong. Mean, it's better that she slept with him. Than Aldo, yeah. Than Aldo or... Because he's a or, gross perv. Or, uh, or fine. Yeah. Right? Because Jude Law's character, it almost be rewarding him for exactly. being an asshole. And I get that. And I get Aldo being a gross misogynist pig. Which, that scene when he, like, tries to play off that he he's actually from, like, MI6... And then he just, and she believes him, and so did I. And then he turns around and talks oh, yeah. back. He's like, how did you like my British accent? <laughs> I learned it from Downton Abbey. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, we're ruining, like, all the jokes. <laughs> but, um, no, there's so many in here. Don't worry about it. Um, fuck, what was I saying? Yeah, so he is the best option, I guess, out of all the dudes in the movie. It's just... I guess, I guess I get what, what bothers mean. me is where it is in the movie. It's like right after we establish that her only reward is going off with her friend, right? The other mm-hmm. woman in the who's been shit on in the agency. 
who also so we get that it's nice and it's a capper and it's nice thematic wrapping up everything up so I, it's almost like i wish it was after like a mid-credit sequence do you know what i mean which is putting it at the very end of the movie it's almost it's almost like her majesty in the abbey road like you get this beautiful thematic statement and then just like this throwaway joke which is like uh in abbey road it works i guess because the right. deals were always jokey and stuff but i don't know maybe this is me trying to figure it out i feel like if they because the like the final the post credit all the way at the end there's just like that that one little outtake of the bed scene like i feel oh, like yeah. if it all if that the that scene had came with that and maybe like other outtakes of other things they had said then maybe uh, like it would have worked better it's just, i don't know it's just it's the just the placement in the movie it's putting it before the credits roll because the ending of your movie is what you're trying to say, right? It's the thesis of your whole movie. So having it right at the end just kind of deflates its theme of female empowerment, I guess. I guess. It's hard. I, I know I'm not totally convinced myself. It's just I'm just trying to figure it out. And it's just knowing. I was just happy with where it had faded out at first. I'm like, yes, that's where it needs to end. She's a super, like, yeah. she just, like, turns to her friends. Like, yeah, it's like, no, she, girl's she rejects fine and makes it a girl's night. Exactly. Yeah. And that's what I'm like, great, that's exactly what your movie was saying. Can we just go to credits now? <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, but say, it's nothing wrong with it. It's, it's funny. It works. And, again, he's the best choice because he's such an idiot. <laughs> um but he's like a sweet idiot. She says so, right? She's like, he's he's trying. Yeah. <laughs> Not well. <laughs> yeah. But, um, which is funny because uh, I have a note here where he, he's essentially doing the Will Ferrell thing where he's a satire of masculinity and it's mm. so good. And again, it ties into the whole James Bond. He's like that one shading of James Bond who's this ultra male who's like inf- unfallible or infallible. And... That ties into Jude Law's character, who's the suave side, who's this, like, playboy character. Right. And he's gross, and he, for a long time, we think, um, we think less of him, I'll put it that way. Hmm. Um, this is also, like, how are we forgetting to mention Rose Byrne? She, I, I she had established herself in Neighbors as being a comedic force, because she's so good in that. She's my favorite, like... She stole a movie from yeah, most of I, it. I can't remember how she is in Bridesmaids. Like, she's more of a straight man in that character, I think. I believe so. She's, she's just, like, the the friend who's just, like, trying to steal the spotlight. Yeah. So in this one, it's more of a hybrid of those two characters. Because she's not, like, ultra zany like she was in Neighbors. But she does have her moments. She actually has my favorite line in the whole movie. Like, that's the stupidest fucking phrase I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> and she plays it so strange with a sly smile. And it's so good. Um. Yeah, I mean, this movie is just just perf- the performances sell it. It's like the joke, the writing is impeccable. The performances are on point. The only thing I didn't quite like about it was just the digital photography was hideous. The movie looks ugly. Yeah, it's not a. I wouldn't call it a pretty looking film. Um, I just noticed in every shot, it just. I know comedies are always a little bit overlit. Just you know, right. Not, more lighthearted. It's not supposed to get the same sense of drama that high contrast does, but here it's just so apparent that it's I don't know that everything looks fake even though it's all on set. I mean on location. I um 
typically I like I try and pay attention to the cinematography of, of a film yeah. but then like comes movies like Spy where I, I guess it's just there and I don't I don't pay attention to it neither a good or bad thing it's just there yeah I mean with comedy I think Edgar Wright's raised the bar to the point where he he's can use on a everything different field to entirely. make a joke yeah right like you can use your cinematography to help enhance the comedy but a lot of American comedies I always remember the the bit from World End where like everybody's drinking beer and then then the water and then the water yeah in a place he makes a joke with the cat with the editing and the cinematography it's perfect a lot of American comedies it's just flat like just capture yeah they just they just uh, they only use the words that their actors are saying it's not they're not trying to use everything that they possibly can yeah which don't get me wrong it works in this movie and for the most part it's hilarious yeah and you don't notice it it's just it'd be it would put the movie on this whole other level of like which, I don't know, is, is it a problem with Paul Feig? Because I've seen a few of his other movies. I've seen Freaks and Geeks. I, I'm not sure how much. He was the main showrunner behind that, I think. And I'm not even sure. Freaks and Geeks is one of my absolute favorite things ever. So, I love Paul Feig. I just wish he doesn't have quite the visual eye that I, I wish he did. Not not everybody can or has to be at the right, but... No. It would be... But I mean just using the tools that no, are available I, to you, right? Yeah. He's just a fantastic well, writer. No, I mean, not just a fantastic writer, but he's a fantastic writer. He gets, clearly, he's a great actor's director because he gets these great performances. Did you, uh, what did you think of, like, Miss Lisa McCarthy's uh, husband's cameo? He's in it? Yeah, he's the, uh, so, like... Is uh, it the Mike and Molly guy? No, no, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea. I don't pay attention to it. So, so in, in, in Bridesmaid, I believe, like, hit, uh, her husband in that... Uh, is this the same guy? Is her real husband? I don't even remember. So it, it's in the one scene where she's on the where she's on the scooter and she's like facing off the the car, and some random guy, just this American guy, just shows up, stands like stands next to her and is like, "Do you know like have directions for like the new?" Oh, food that place? guy, yeah, that guy's amazing. And she just like pulls out a gun. Oh, somebody else. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah, we were we were just recounting all the jokes now. <laughs> when when he popped on, I was like, I was like, oh, of course they had to bring him in, and then they he made that joke and delivered it, and then ran off frame, and I was just like, I'm okay with that cameo. That's fine with me. Was, That's your husband, wow. no? He that part is hilarious. Um, he directed her in Tammy, I believe. Tammy. Oh, I haven't seen Tammy. I heard it wasn't very good. Yeah. That's kind of like... But let's talk about good Melissa McCarthy movies. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. This movie uses her right, correctly, right? It doesn't yeah. make a joke of how, like, she's a bigger woman or that she's... I don't uh, think there are any weight jokes. No, I don't think there's a single one. And like I said, it's, she's never the butt of the joke. She's She definitely enhances it, right? But it's never about us laughing at her. We're always on her side. In fact, whenever another character makes fun of her... We're always at, like, just kind of disgusted with their behavior. We're like, oh, what the hell? Yeah. Like, when he presents her with the cupcake necklace, we're like, oh, come on, dude. What an ugly yeah. fucking thing. We're not laughing at her. Oh, she's fat. She likes cakes or whatever. It's about, look at this idiot who doesn't understand that this lady cares for him, right? Right. So that's uh, the power of the film. And... 
I know we've mentioned a lot of jokes, but you should really go watch it. It doesn't. It's not as bad as the trailers make it out to be. No, um, a friend of mine. It, it's kind of weird because like a f- uh, one of my friends to- like told me this, and then I looked up online, and everybody was saying it, and I'm I'm just a- completely oblivious about it. But everyone's calling her like the female Kevin James. Oh, and that's, she deserves better than that. She deserves title. <laughs> so much better because after watching. I like my Jackie Chan thing. <laughs> After watching uh, Spy and then my like my friend making a comparison to like Paul Blart Mall Cop 2. And I'm like, I, no, God. <laughs> no. Why did they make a second Paul Blart? Who was asking for that? <laughs> I think Kevin James. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was it. Um, oh, my God. But there's, I just can't. I don't see it. I think she is so much better than that. And yeah. She's, every way. Oh. I mean, the way she like I've seen King of Queens, and that's it was enjoyable. But come on, it was funny. But I th- I thought <laughs> I, I thought Kevin James was not the best part of that show. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Patton Oswalt's on it, so he's always maybe the best thing he's a part of. Uh, Bobby Carnival, who was also in Spy and like Blue Jasmine, was in the show for a bit. I think he has oh, a few like guest spots. I can't put a face to that name right now. He he was uh I think his name's Luca in Spy. Luca. The Italian? No, that's Aldo. The the, so the guy who takes tries to get the bomb, the nuke. Oh yeah, yeah. The uh, I don't know if he's Italian, but like the olive skin dude. Yeah, I think <laughs> olive <it's>, skin. <laughs> I think his name's Luca. His beautiful olive skin. <laughs> oh, uh, that's an attractive dude. Um, yeah, yeah. I think he is. Yeah, he, he, like he has he a familiar is. face. I've seen him on other stuff. I know he 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 had, he had a great role in Blue Jasmine. Oh yeah, he was uh Sally Hawkins. Blue Jasmine's amazing. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's, boyfriend. Yeah, okay. I love Blue Jasmine. It's so good. Uh, it um, wrecks you, but yeah, but you would like you accept it and you're okay with it. Yeah, I don't want to start getting to a whole Kate Blanchett thing. <laughs> I adore her, but um, you should still watch Cinderella. She's in that. Yeah, she's an evil stepmother. Oh yeah, I still, I still have to watch Cinderella, which is everyone is saying is a great. And I'm still putting it at like the top of my list of the year so far. So, <laughs> all right, nice. Um, I know there's also like a lot of people saying Jason Statham surprising them with the comedy thing, and it's funny. I think this is the funniest I've ever seen him. I it's definitely the funniest I've ever seen him. But I feel like he had proven he was funny, like Snatch and Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels. But he was I'm always not, more of a I, I haven't man. seen the Lockstock film but snatch yes but it's just like it's it's a different thing like he's more yeah he's more straight he's playing off everyone else yeah he pokes fun at this stuff and this one sorry about that we got a phone call in the middle there my brother desperately wants to be the wacky call-in guest not just yet (laughs) exactly we don't have that technology clearly professionalism (laughs) continue with your thought andres um so i love snatch and i think like He's really funny in that, but it's a totally different thing where he plays off people. But in here, he just kind of like, kind of turns himself into a joke. It's almost a chaotic element in a way. He like, yeah. he, when he enters a scene, everything changes because everyone's reacting to everything he fucks up. You welcome it so yeah. fast. You're just like, please get back. Yeah. Is- He's amazing, and that's the. I hope he doesn't overshadow Miss McCarthy in a way because again she's proving herself here uh in a way that kind of i don't want to say subverts but pushes aside all those feelings that she's overexposed because people are just been using her wrong right yeah and it 
and actors in a way that I don't want to reduce them to just being tools, but they have their correct uses. And Paul Feig knows exactly how to use Melissa McCarthy in every scene. Which uh, he did peak gross out with Melissa McCarthy and Bridesmaids, and now he's doing peak uh, full, uh, fully established, independent, smart woman here, and that's fantastic. Something we haven't talked about yet is how great the actual action sequences are. Yeah, I mean, that fight with the the knife and the frying pan is fantastic. It's yeah, action comedy goal. There's that one shot where she has the frying pan on her head, and like she gets stabbed, and it, like blocks it, and she does the space, and it reminds, that's where I had. I'm like, oh shit, this is Jackie Chan. That's where I had that moment because it's so perfect. There are a few. Um fights early on where she kind of like um the f- the first guy that she ends up fighting that she ch- like chases up the stairs oh, oh yeah which ends in the most perfect death scene yeah <laughs> but i was kind of um a reaction to a death I don't, I don't know if upset is the right word but when it ends up being that she wins and kills the guy by accident yeah oh but like that's an accident yeah, it kind of like takes away from the the footage we had seen earlier about how great. Oh, uh, how, yeah, fan. Although they did establish she's they, a little rusty, right? That was ten yes, years ago. She did. She like did stand her ground before mm. actually making him die. But <laughs> it was just like the fact that he ends up dying by accident. Yeah. It's, it's funny, but it's also like like no, she's Good stronger than that, which her. we see. But yeah. still, but I, I don't know. I feel like it works in establishing the fact that it's about her getting back into the rhythm of being a field agent kind of thing. Not that yeah, she was ever that, field that's agent. That's why she... I'm saying like I don't know if upset's the right word, yeah. but it's like on my way. Just like yeah. if they if handled it a bit differently, it could have not yeah. worked. But it does lead to that beautiful capper of a joke. She just throws it. No, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to ruin it, but yeah, there you go. We already <laughs> spoiled it. It's too late. Yeah. If you're listening to this, you already fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> Go watch the movie. You should assume we're just gonna spoil whatever movie we're. Yeah, because we want to talk about it. All right. Yeah, but we can't just be like, "Hey, this is a movie. It's good. Go watch it. End of episode. It, it's not as fun." Exactly. I'm a little mad that we. I think we might have missed a couple jokes because there's an idiot in our theater who didn't turn off his fucking phone alarm. But then there's there was the other element where we had. There was another woman who like called out. It was just like turn off your phone, and I think it was like one of the kids in the yeah, theater was just right like, "Hey, if you don't know how to turn off your phone, you hold the button and you turn it off." <laughs> exactly. Please, this is our PSA in the middle of the episode: turn off your phones before going through. Side, or at least put it on vibrate, man. A little side tangent, like, so the last three films I saw at that theater, there's like weird. Oh, yeah, I was with it, you for spring. Yeah, there was, like, these weird, like, other things that just happened during the movie, and it, like, kind of either, either elevates the film or doesn't. So uh, we saw spring, and there was a fire alarm going off, and it just kept ringing and ringing and, and ringing. And over it, the proje- uh, PSA or whatever they kept and, pronouncing. And it was like, what? This is an emergency. Cl- close to, like, five minutes? Oh, yeah. Or at least it felt like it five felt minutes. It felt like 10, 15. Um, but then I also, when I went to watch, I watched Poltergeist at the same theater. And you haven't seen the trailer for Poltergeist, have you? I haven't seen Poltergeist. No, but have you seen the trailer? <laughs> no. Okay, so there's a scene that's kind of like spoiled in the trailer, mm-hmm. which uh, we're not talking about Poltergeist, so I won't spoil it. Yeah. But if you, it has to do with a clown and a nose, and if you know what I'm talking about, uh, if you've seen the trailer, and... But so there's a scene where it pops up and something's kind of like hidden, yeah. and 
but because I've seen the trailer so many times that the moment kind of wasn't as impactful as it could have been, I wasn't really scared. But there was one guy who I think didn't see the trailer who just yelled out <laughs> at the top of his lungs, "Oh fuck!" <laughs> and that for everybody who was already like who might have been tense that yeah. that they just started laughing and then the jump scare happened and it's like, "Oh it's, yeah, I forgot." <laughs> So, like, with that one, I'm kind of torn because it's, like, it was really, really funny and it's a great story, <laughs> but it was one less jump scare. That's that the magic of watching a movie in the theater, right? Like there's, yeah. I can't remember what movie I was watching, but there was this one scary movie I was watching, and there's two ladies sitting in front of me eating nachos, Ugh. and then a jump scare comes out, and all you hear is, <laughs> ah! and I get nacho and sauce all over my pants, because they just tossed it right back. It's great. <laughs> At least they gave me a napkin to clean up with. That's sweet. <laughs> Good of them. All right. So now we'll transition to our topic of the week, which is the Mount Rushmore of directors. Andres, do you want to kick us off? Um, should I go straight for all four, or do I? Should I go my honorable mentions? Because like I, it was tough. I was. I think you could start off with some honorable mentions, and people will be like, "How did they not get on?" But I will say we. I don't think we went in with strict rules for this. Like, I kind of stuck with... I gave myself some rules. I don't know how what you did. Um, not really. Because uh, we, we talked about it, and you had said essentially just four, as many as there are on Mount Yeah, as many as there are. So uh, not like a Mount Rushmore of 20 directors. Right, which I think I might be able to do. <laughs> that might be easier. Um, so there's a, there's a few that... That I thought of putting, but I wasn't entirely sure. And I know this is weird, but uh, the top of that list uh, would have been Scorsese. Scorsese is a good one. Um, just I'm not as familiar with his work as I would like to be. Um, also, I, th- I think I'm more interested in what he does for films. Like recently, with uh, he he he's like taking a lot of older films and trying to like restore them and stuff yeah. and I love talking to him about film but I'm not sure I sometimes talking I, to him you've talked to Martin Scorsese no <laughs> like when he like watching videos of him talking yeah. about film I, like I sometimes I find that more interesting than something I've seen of his which I know is a really bad thing to say out loud I don't know I mean I disagree with Scorsese but with Steven Soderbergh I get that sense I almost enjoy Soderbergh talking about movies more than I enjoy his movies even though I love his movies but right. he's just so smart and just hearing him talk about it so now I don't feel so bad for saying that stuff. uh <laughs> The other um, never feel bad about an opinion, man. The, the my other options were uh, Francois Truffaut, uh, Akira Kurosawa, and Ingmar uh, Bergman. All great directors, but I just nowhere close to as familiar as I would like to be. Yeah, I kind of try to stay as American as possible because it is Mount Rushmore, which so, isn't to this uh, to put down the contrib- contributions of foreign film. Yeah, foreign I definitely film is absolutely important. That was the thing I, I really when you said Truffaut, I'm like shit. He probably should have been on my... I really wanted to put a foreign director, but yeah. there was none that I'm like, where I can be like, oh, I know that director's work. Like, I sort of, out. sort of did. A little asterisk. We'll get yeah, to that when funny. I get to it. We'll, but go on. Okay, so for the actual four, uh, I, I guess no specific order. Um, well, whatever you want. It's uh, your four, man. So Stanley Kubrick, Steven Spielberg, um, Paul Thomas Anderson... And Quentin Tarantino. Ooh, we're two for two out of four. We have the same. <laughs> so let's. Um, okay, we can tell still me, do this. 
Yeah. Uh, no, no, you you give your four first, and you then we give can my four. Oh, okay, okay. Options. But the, th- the way I did it though is that I matched them up completely with who each president represents. I mean, See, what I, each president. I wanted represents. to try that, but then when you told me just pick four, and I'm like, oh, okay, then I guess I can do this. Yeah. Okay. I'll get it. I guess I'll just like, I'll get into detail why I pick mine because I feel like I have to. So, taking the place of George Washington, who is the father of America, I would assume. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, we should make a disclaimer here, just in case we have any listeners that aren't our friends. We are Canadians talking about an American monument. <laughs> so, our knowledge of American history might be suspect at best. It's, uh, like, whatever we probably read on the Wikipedia page. Yeah, pretty much. And, like, first paragraph, because I'm not... Oh, reading. yeah. I'm just like, what's this person? Yeah. Cool, I get the gist. <laughs> Exactly. Next. So, taking the place of George Washington, who everybody knows, is Charlie Chaplin. Um, just to butt in for a sec, if I would have done it, I think my first, like, the first choice uh, for me would have been, like, George Millet. Oh. Like, he invented the film, didn't he? He didn't exactly. invent it, but he did the uh, A Trip to the Moon. A trip to the Moon, yeah, yeah. Which, uh, he essentially invented cinema. Which, like, Hugo is based on. Right. Yeah. Fuck. That's. I was thinking that, but I, ju- I wasn't familiar enough with his stuff. But yeah, that too, and just the fact when we're thinking cinema, your first thought isn't a trip to the moon, kind of, even though that imagery is embedded in our heads. I just wanted Charlie Chaplin because he is almost one of the first auteurs, right? Yeah, I can say, you can say that. Yeah, he was a presence both behind and in front of the camera, and his face has become. Uh, linked to cinema like you think charlie chaplin you think or you think movies you can think charlie chaplin that mustache that hat the tramp character just where you think america you get that george washington imagery right right he's on the dollar bill and so i felt that tied it was a nice representation he's and he's one of the earliest uh like i said he's one of the earliest tours from this dating back to the silent era so he's one of the the few that able to like passed from when it was silent to when we got sound. Exactly. Or when they got sound. He transitioned perfectly. And uh, he was commenting on their times with the great dictator, modern times. It's just, and he found, even though theater had been doing this, he brought it to cinema where he found the link between comedy and tragedy. And he's so, and yeah, when you think, he just was a very early voice in establishing the language of cinema. And that's what I loved. Speaking of the language of cinema, taking the place of Thomas Jefferson, who's another founding father, is Alfred Hitchcock. American, huh? The, oh, yeah. This is the... <laughs> I hadn't considered that he was British when I made my role, but <laughs> I actually found a way to justify it. Right. Because technically, Thomas Jefferson was British when he was born in British America. You are the biggest then fluke. Be- and became America <laughs> once America had signed its declaration or had went through its whole Revolutionary War and became an independent state in 1776. I thought you were Thus, gonna... mirroring Alfred Hitchcock's expatriate status when he became essentially an American when he worked in his latter period in the U.S. So, ha ha ha, I win. <laughs> So that's my main justification for putting a Brit on my Mount Rushmore. <laughs> I mean, his best work was in America. He got when did he, do, you, do you remember, or did you write down when he came to America? Oh, no, I didn't fucking look. I didn't do that much research. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, his 
Hitchcock is the guy who gave us our modern cinematic language. Yeah. From editing, the camera move, to just how uh, what each shot says about the characters and the situation. He gave us all that. And he is tying into Thomas Jefferson, who was the author, principal author behind the Declaration of Independence, giving America its uh, sovereign... Sorry, not sovereign, but its independence. We get Alfred Hitchcock, who defines what makes cinema special. If we were to actually win these questions and i i think i already did yeah i was gonna say if i won the first one i think i can't compete with somebody who knows history about america i already lost i told you this is the first paragraph of wikipedia so you did less than that i was looking it up as you texted me saying no no it's okay just use the just pick any four and i was like all right close tab well i'm gonna do research you're a lazy bastard <laughs> Also, here's a nice little factoid for you. Jefferson doubled the size of the U.S. under his presidency, which is a loose connection to Hitchcock having such a large filmography. Yeah, I guess. Exactly. I guess it works works better if uh, if Hitchcock made more films in America. But you didn't do that much research. Exactly. Shut up. (laughs) I still won. Okay, hey, taking the place of Abraham Lincoln, who I feel embodies the shift in America, where we have... We have our idea of uh, pre-Lincoln, post-Lincoln America, right? He, w- he was that man. And I felt Stanley Kubrick was the one to take that spot. Because we can mark cinema before Stanley Kubrick and then after. Right. Right? He had so much to do about deepening what a film could say. At this rate, we have talked about Kubrick in two of two episodes exactly i I was gonna say i'm okay with this (laughs) continuing i mean kubrick is cinema we have to talk about um it's funny because i was also gonna ask what's one movie from each of your directors that you would hold up to to, for people to watch yeah it's just kind of like as little asterisks watch this if you're interested kind of thing right okay and i didn't want to say 2001 space odyssey again (laughs) even though that's like the quintessential one so I'm just going to go with Dr. Strangelove because, again, like Abraham Lincoln, I felt like it was commenting on its times, right. pointing uh, a finger at the ridiculousness of government. Uh, and um, with Lincoln, we have this tragically short-lived presidency because he was assassinated. And even though Stanley Kubrick lived to be a ripe old age, I felt like because of his, or I feel like because of his perfectionism, we didn't get as many films as we could have and he was even this was something even he was disappointed in like he wished he could have worked faster to make more movies because i have here he only made five movies after 1970 yeah uh but also like it's like two every you, decade have you seen eyes wide shut eyes wide, no that's the one I haven't you haven't seen, seen eyes wide shut but even with like eyes wide shut which uh unfortunately was his last film it's not like other directors where you can kind of look at their uh, filmography and, and at by the end of their filmography, you're like, oh, they lost touch. They're not as good. Eyes Wide Shut is still a masterpiece. Yeah, I mean. So he, it's just like he just kept putting out good work. Quality regardless. work. He just, just worked too slow to get all the stuff he wanted out, right? Like he wanted to make Aryan Papers, which probably would have been the greatest Holocaust movie ever. But he, uh, Schindler's List came out and he just felt, well, it'd be redundant. Yeah. And then AI he couldn't make. He gave that to Steven Spielberg. Because he felt it was more to his sentiments. Yeah. So. Uh, Don't forget about Napoleon. Napoleon. Napoleon's the big one, yeah. He might he used that research to make Barry Lyndon, but 
having a Napoleon movie by I'm watching Barry Lyndon tomorrow or oh, Tuesday. I can't. It's really good, wait. but it's really cold, so you have to be. I think I'm okay with that. Yeah, I, I've, I've gotten used to Kubrick's coldness sometimes. Yeah, but I mean, it's colder than even 2001, which is about cold science. So, <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know why that excites me. It's really good. Um, and then finally, on my final spot, taking the place of Theodore Roosevelt, who is the one I know the least about. I'll just. In the culture, pop culture, he's considered a badass. And because of that, I put Quentin Tarantino taking his spot. Because they're both uh, considered sort of... I mean, Tarantino makes badass fucking movies that are amalgamations of everything that came before all the... What's the the wallet say? A badass motherfucker? Is it badass or is it just bad motherfucker? It's bad motherfucker, yeah, you're right. Exactly. Close enough. And that sums up his filmography totally. And also, a neat point, I know th- the one thing I do know about Theodore Roosevelt is that he was very much about preserving nature, right? And it ties in perfectly with the story I read yesterday, how Tarantino is retrofitting like oh, 50 yeah. theaters in the world with I heard about that. 70 millimeter projectors so that he can... I hope my theater is one flight. of them. Yeah, I know. Oh, I can't we, we saw Interstellar there, but I'd put, uh, I'm not, I think they might have taken it out. Really? Yeah, because uh, they were talking about how, like, oh, we probably won't go through this again. And in my head, I'm just screaming like, at what? I'm screaming at my managers. Don't you know about Hateful Eight? Yeah. Just wait another year, Jeez. please. I mean, there's. I think there's been more, like, 70 millimeter movies in the past decade than there were, like, 30 years before. I'm not sure. Um, the only ones I can think of. There was a lot. Anyway, um, so, yeah, it ties in nicely with the fact that Tarantino is like a stalwart of film preservation, and he's trying to keep it the fundamental way we capture films. Even though everything's shifting to digital, unfortunately, case in point, spy looks awful. But <laughs> like, I just watched Sorcerer last night, and that too. is the most beautiful movie I think I've ever seen. You're welcome for recommending it and handing it to you in the store. Yeah, <laughs> I had wanted to buy it already. All right, you're not that special. <laughs> I just need something to go with my copy of Happy Go Lucky. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so, who's. Give me your reasons for your guys. Um, I'm just gonna go with the list that I have written. <laughs> so, I don't know any historical background, so I can't tie anything Scrub. together. <laughs> I guess I can cheat and just, like, steal your paper for when I talk about Kubrick <laughs> and Tarantino, but. Um, so, with Kubrick, I don't think, like, they're is much to have to explain like i think it's just such a simple staple that even like coming up with the question like before i even thought of who the other three could be i knew kubrick was going to be on mine yeah i mean it might be true for cinephiles weird word but uh i feel like the general public at large doesn't really know who kubrick is so to them what would you say um i just kind of like tell them about the movies that he's made and being like look he there hasn't been a film of his that i've seen I've only, I'm missing, I still haven't watched two of his films, but every other of them I could call as close a masterpiece as you can get. What two films? I just haven't seen Barry Lyndon and Spartacus. Oh. Spartacus is really good, it's great, but it's the one that doesn't feel like Kubrick, you know what I mean? Well, that was the, the film where it was more like, Kirk Douglas, who called Kirk him in Passion Project, yeah. Right. But I mean, it's still great. I I still love it. My, it's like one of my dad's favorite movies. But even let's say both of those films aren't. That's how many films has he did he make? 
Not, 16, well, I think, something around there. Even if two of them aren't as great as the rest, it's not that bad. Yeah, I mean, he's still a friggin' master. Yeah. Um, earlier you talked about how um, Hitchcock kind of made a cinema language, a yeah. cinematic language, and I think Kubrick did as well. Like, he worked a lot of stuff about mm-hmm. that. Yeah, he, like, deep, like I said, he deepened it, right? Yeah, so I, I believe he changed filmmaking and... Um, there was a where you said also about pre Kubrick and then post Kubrick, and that's a great way to kind of look at some films. Mm-hmm. And what's great about Kubrick is that he worked in like so many different genres. Yeah. And so he expanded the language of all of these genres. You have The Shining, one of the greatest horror movies ever. Full Metal Jacket, one of the greatest war movies ever. Uh, 2001 Space Odyssey, one of the greatest sci fi, probably the greatest sci fi ever. When I hear people tell me even uh that they don't respect it or don't it kind of upsets Who me says that? there's a few people I 2001 know. yeah really yeah I, I don't <laughs> I, I know like when because there there's the whole thing where it's just like yeah it's a bit too cold or it's a bit too dense i'm like okay i get that but then when they, i have like people just flat out tell me it's not a good film and i'm like well now you're just wrong yeah <laughs> i know there's like Right, like everybody gets their own opinion, but that's a yeah. wrong like saying, opinion. Seeing it's cold and dense, that might not appeal to you, but that's what the film is trying to do, right? Yeah. So I mean, there's you a difference. can't fault the film for achieving exactly what it's trying to achieve. There's a huge difference between going and saying, um, "I don't like the film; it's not for me," and yeah. just flat out saying it's a bad yeah. film, especially something of that caliber. Exactly. Um, my my the last reason I I wrote down for Kubrick and maybe a bit biased but i just i think he's the best director we've ever had oh t- totally uh some people say it's debatable and i can i can try and debate it's, it's otherwise it's but, like if if you feel movies are art Kubrick is absolutely the greatest yeah if, if you just think of them as pop entertainment maybe spielberg kind of thing but i mean it's a stupid reductive conversation to try to like single one out guy out that's why i kind of like when i usually make that statement i say that he's arguably one of the greatest yeah. instead of just saying the definite that he is yeah but uh but so. i mean it just gets at this idea that kubrick is the v man like the director yeah he, he takes he has a lot of fun with his stuff uh yeah. last time i believe I, I talked about the the screen first for space odyssey that i yeah. saw with the with the actors in attendance and they told us about how much fun like kubrick was having yeah. on set and about how how he was okay for improv and they would shoot stuff whether yeah. or not they made it into the film people different. have this idea that he was like this almost dictator behind the camera kind of thing yeah, but really then, he's just he's more of a scientist he's experimenting he's trying to find what works and what works in different ways if you see like pictures like of him like behind the scenes it just looks like a child he's just like so happy all the time exactly that's what people don't get is that he was everything that makes it into film into the film is because he found it worked in some way that perhaps was different perhaps was new but it still was conveying this idea that he was trying to get across yeah like the whole stargate sequence is like okay what's going on i don't get it but if you open your mind up to it you're it's this sense of yeah there's this confusion but it's also the sense of discovery right and it's beautiful all right, so next up, I had a uh, Steven Spielberg, and just quickly, like all the stuff that he has, he has done for cinema, like, 
So if it wasn't for Jaws, we wouldn't have uh, any blockbusters. Some people would say that's a bad thing, but I would disagree. I like um, they. Told, can, there's well, room for all of it. Yeah, there are. There we do have the bad ones, and mm-hmm. we do have great ones. Uh, so, and with with Jaws, like Jaws, he. Uh, I don't know if it got nominated for anything at the Academy Awards, but I know it made it to Cannes, right? Yeah, I think so. I, I think I read that. Um, so yeah, because yeah, uh, I think Devin Faraci mentions it on the podcast at one point where he's like. It made it to cons because at this point there was no idea of like the separation between blockbuster movies and yeah. our movies. It was just movies. So um, he changed them and going on about like some blockbuster films that may not be as good. He, besides the Transformers franchise that he's a producer of, he's also produced a lot of other great films. Yeah. Uh, he so like including like the Back to the Future trilogy. Um, I wrote others down on a different piece of paper. I don't know where I put that one. Yeah, if there was a fifth face, I would definitely put Steven Spielberg because he oh, is. Yeah. I would say he is the modern face of movies. He, um, he he lives and breathes movies. He also produced Gremlins, which uh, with came out I believe the same year as Temple of Doom, yeah. which both of them combined made the PG thirteen rating. Yeah, which then again changed cinema. Exactly. Again, maybe not for the better, but maybe it not for the better. There are some market turnings. Um, yeah, I mean, and he's also probably him and Scorsese are the two greatest directors to come out of the '70s movement, the new Hollywood yeah, movement. Probably the ones that are still like one of the best ones that are still working today. I mean, yeah. have you, you watched that Bridge of Spies trailer? Yeah, I, that's one of the few trailers I've watched because, of course, I have to watch a Steven Spielberg. But you saw what I meant about like uh, that. F- fine line of like tom hanks being the character and being himself <laughs> sort of i mean i kind of got engrossed in like the there were visual. some there were some scenes where like, i love soviet like soviet imagery and the cold war imagery and i love that stuff why i loved winter soldier so much during dur- during our spy so I kind of en- uh, thrilled in that screening when we watched spy i mentioned i talked to him about the movie the trailer and i mentioned how there were a few moments where i I kind of forgot that Tom Hanks was playing a character, and I just imagine Tom Hanks like going out of his way to Tom do all Hanks these things. Tom Hanks became a lawyer. And went yeah, to, because he went into the past to go defend this guy. Because he's just that great of a person. He's <laughs> yeah, a bunch of a humanitarian. Tom Hanks is the best. <laughs> um, next, I I wanted to talk about like Paul Thomas Anderson. Yeah, that was the one that I'm kind of curious about. You just just because he's really good. Have you seen like paid attention to his filmography? Like he's just has a lot of fascinating things to say uh i don't doubt that but i mean I feel, the one criticism i would have of your list is that there's no sense of history on it man and mount rushmore is celebrating the first 130 years of america okay when when you like take hitchcock <laughs> and chaplin and i don't want to make take them i didn't say you could have <laughs> used them no you didn't but i also wanted to have talk to talk about different directors i don't want to talk about only four or only put five Francois Truffaut? Because I'm, I'm that would like, been perfect. Besides, I, th- I think I've only seen like two of his films. Yeah, but those two films changed cinema, and that's okay, it. 400 Blows did. I'm not. I love Jules and Jim, but I'm not entirely sure if that one did as Isn't well. Isn't that sort of quasi sequel? Or am I thinking of something else? No, you think of something else. Yeah. I think you're thinking of like Love at 20 or any of that's the it, other yeah, yeah, yeah. three uh, Antoine Donnell films. But yeah, I still think you fucked up. Should yeah, I kind of wish I went back and be like, ah, Truffaut. Yeah. <laughs> um, even Magnolia, which 
is a very very long three hour film mm-hmm. which I still have to see it's a great film um, and he has gone on record saying that if he can go back he would probably trim it down yeah. uh, but it's also a kind of a love letter to like his father that he lost prior to that really yeah and so I just know like, there's a lot about like masculinity in it as well yeah, uh, just like Boogie Nights, which is a Tom Cruise is phenomenal in Magnolia, which is if this year is uh, Year of the Spy, nineteen ninety nine, with uh, Eyes Wide Shut, is the year, year of Cruise. Tom Cruise. <laughs> two films that go up to nearly three hours, except Eyes Wide Shut, he's like the main character, yeah. as opposed to Magnolia, where he's side character. Well, like I don't even know if there are main characters in Magnolia because mm-hmm. there's like it's like a great ensemble film uh talking about boogie nights i love boogie nights that's oh, one of my so favorites good. um one of the best final shots ever <laughs> yes uh <laughs> there will be blood yeah i always forget he makes that he made that i feel like after that i've kind of just like i can drop my microphone and walk out <laughs> of the room um yeah but that was the same year no country old men so i still where's I, the coen brothers on your list you uh, mentioned thinking about putting them I on thought there. about it but I'm just like I think uh, PTA is is better filmmaker maybe and the Coen brothers I think so <laughs> oh I my. think so I, I don't know if it's entirely fair if like even though the Coen brothers clearly like work together and like seem to have one mind I don't know if it if it's allowed and it's fair for two people oh a good list would have been putting the Coen brothers the Wachowskis <laughs> <laughs> just totally fucking up the four rule <laughs> um uh, so other like I love Punch Drunk Love. I know some people think it's his weakest. I think it's really great. The Master. Uh, oh, I love The Master. We we saw Inherent Vice in seventy mil, which is a movie that slowly grew on me. Because when I first came out of theater, I was like, I don't know if I care for that much. And then now I absolutely you just adore. Keep it. Thinking about it, yeah, it thinking. sticks that, with you. And that's what PTA does best. Every I think besides Boogie Nights. Uh, I haven't seen Heart 8. I will admit to that. I really want to. I just can't find it anywhere. Uh-huh. Um, that was only on DVD, right? Yeah, it's only on DVD. Mm-hmm. Uh, but with uh, with PTA, except for Boogie Nights, I think every film kind of like it ends and you're just like, shit, I have to watch this again. Because <laughs> you don't get it right away. You don't fully grasp it. Yeah, kind of. He's almost. Do I want to say he's like a modern Kubrick in a sense? I know he, he, he met him and he like talked to him on the set of Eyes Wide Shut, which was yeah. really interesting. I think I'm he might jealous. be the closest we have to that same sort of idea that Kubrick was doing. You know what I mean? Maybe. I don't I I don't know if I can No one will we'll never have another Kubrick. That's no. what I'm, that's the underlying point. But as much as as close as we can to making big budgeted movies that explore deeper issues and are clearly doing their own thing their own language internal language i would say yeah pta maybe and he does like whatever he wants he makes he takes uh and movies are also come off sort of cold sometimes yeah i mean look at uh there will be blood yeah it's frigid (laughs) what a great movie okay uh tarantino Tarantino? yeah um he like changed independent filmmaking and like Hitman, other people. Uh, I know Steven Soderbergh kicked that ball off. Woo! <laughs> but there was also others. You know, you got like Linklater. Uh, yeah. 
uh, Kevin Smith. Yeah. yeah, he's the one that brought indie filmmaking into the mainstream. Linklater or no, no Tarantino. Tarantino. Yeah, yeah, but they all kind of like started off with like they. Uh, Linklater had Slacker, and everybody was just like, "Oh, that can be made movie." Which I haven't seen Slacker yet, yeah. but I know so many people are inspired Kevin by it. Was one, made yeah, he made Clerks because of it. Same year as Pulp Fiction, I think, right? Yes. Pulp Fiction Dogs. was, uh, I think, Reservoir Dogs was ninety two. Yeah. Okay. So it's and Pulp then, and Pulp Fiction was ninety four. Yeah. Um, uh, speaking of like earlier, you you brought up how with uh, with Kubrick, how most of the audience doesn't know his name. You yeah. know Tarantino's name. Yeah, everybody. He's everybody knows. I had a, a conversation with somebody about how we don't have that many directors that kind of are the star of their own film, like where people see a name and in the, in the trailer and they're interested as opposed yeah. to most names kind of pop up and they're just like who or don't Colin Trevorrow <laughs> yeah um, preview of next week's episode of the world <laughs> but so so the, you have your few whether or not it's a good thing or bad thing everybody kind of everyone should pretty much have an idea of who Steven Spielberg is uh, Tarantino Tarantino talking about the bad some people mm-hmm. uh, I remember when they showed the trailer for Devil that M. Night Shyamalan produced uh, film people in my like theater groaned, groaned and yeah. just like please no <laughs> I am uh, I know you don't watch trailers but there's a trailer for his latest film called The Visit mm-hmm. which actually looks good and creepy and I'm just crossing your fingers I'm crossing my fingers I I really really love his like first three right off the bat uh, yeah I like I really like Unbreakable not, not the first three because he, he had two films before six cents oh yeah yeah but i haven't but seen yeah those. six cents and on yeah um, what was the second one named signs yeah well third it was so it was a uh, six cents unbreakable. unbreakable and then signs uh, i haven't seen signs or i think oh. i have i can't remember so all three are great and ever since then i'm just kind of like every movie comes out i'm just like please be good please yeah. be good i saw after earth in the theater and i was like please please <laughs> and even my mom who i saw it with that Doors Will Smith, it wasn't enough for her. <laughs> we both walked out. And we're just like, well, Will Smith was good. I don't know about Jaden. <laughs> I'm tempted to watch that. Um, it's on my movie network. But with like Tarantino, like you mentioned, like people talk about Hateful Eight. They talk about Django and they're Unchained, and you see their name and and they know when he pops up in his own movies because he cameos in all of them. Yeah. Whether or not he's the best, he's such a character outside of film yeah and <clears throat> he's just like he everybody knows his name and mm-hmm. um so i know many people like i remember people talking to me about django and kind of like they're still excited to see what comes next and i tell them about the hateful eight and i've had people um at my work i work at a movie theater and there are people that are not like invested in film and they, they like they hear the synopsis and they're just like that doesn't really sound interesting but it's tarantino so yeah. we'll watch it yeah i mean i know more than a few people that don't really follow film as closely as we do who are like follow the news every day so when and they know like oh the tarantino movie's coming out like can't wait for that because he has this, this such a distinct voice that comes from Again, getting back into cinematic language, his he is taking everything that came before and just throwing it together, right? But in his own unique way, and it never comes off as a mess. It's always 
beautifully articulate and it's always using that to say something about it you know what i mean like there's that beautiful moment in inglorious bastards which probably makes it my favorite film of his or maybe not my favorite but like definitely his probably his best where throughout the whole movie we're seeing these people commit atrocious acts of violence on these germans and we're cheering we're like yeah right these fuckers deserve it and then we get that shot where in the we're in the german theater watching germans watch a german propaganda film of this german killing a bunch of americans and they're cheering yeah and we're like oh bastards but it's playing on this irony of like okay what the hell are you doing then before them and it's genius and that's all he, he just presents that and and that's it right and yeah oh he's so smart is it ellie roth or eli roth eli roth who did the the, the bird whatever the, the bear jew no well, yes but uh I know some like somebody else directed that that short the the one that oh we're the, oh I don't know I'm not sure if it's it might have been Eli Roth or it might have been I don't know if it was Robert Rodriguez I think it might have been Eli Roth. <laughs> um. So, so like, what's a movie from each of your directors you'd recommend? People check out this week if they care enough. <laughs> I think with PTA, I'd probably go Boogie Nights. Boogie Nights, yeah. Boogie Nights is probably. The, most successful and it's also definitely one of his uh, best i think i would have gone punch front glove but it's it almost plays at like a silent film sometimes there isn't that much dialogue i haven't seen that one um tarantino i think i i just go straight to pulp fiction pulp fiction well yeah it's the one that if it, that doesn't like captivate you and like be like i want to see what else he makes be part of the millions of people who saw that and had their minds changed yep um I guess with Steven Spielberg, since last time I went with Jurassic Park, I'm gonna just go e. with E. <laughs> I'm gonna go with E. T. I think my favorite film of his has to be Close Encounters. Yeah, that movie's fantastic. Um, but it's just, uh, I think E. T. Again, way more accessible. Um, Which is gonna say that Close Encounters isn't accessible. It's just E. T. is such a more direct, emotional film. Yeah. Yeah, or it's more. Well, Close Encounters is his most cerebral, probably. Well, you 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 brought up like uh, Devin Fraji with his uh, podcast, The Canon, which is great. Yeah, check out The Canon. This is the whole reason we we're doing a podcast. <laughs> um, but he has an episode where they they face off, uh, E. T. and Close Encounters, and he goes on to say like. E.T. is a great film, and he walks away at the end going, that was awesome, that was incredible, it was everything expected it. But then he finishes Close Encounters, it's like, okay, now I want to write a book about it. Yeah. And that's how I feel about it. But you're still going E.T. I'm still going to go with E.T. Just because <laughs> it's, it's the same thing about the last episode, where it's just like, we gotta, people need to like it, not and like we would go <laughs> and say, okay, what's next? As opposed to be like, okay, that was, that was cool. Yeah, have a Kubrick. Oh, man. What would be... An accessible Kubrick film. Uh, Doesn't have to be accessible. Or I think the one I might recommend might just be uh, Doctor Strangelove is accessible as fuck. Yes, it is. Uh, I th- it's hilarious. Full Metal Jacket. I think I'd go Full Metal Jacket. Yeah, I love that movie too. Yeah. Uh, I know a lot of people complain that the second half is not nearly as strong as the first. But I, I don't care like... what people say. I uh, they had that like uh, Kubrick retrospective at TIFF. Yeah. Right, and I saw Full Metal Jacket in the theater and a friend of mine had gone say it's saying the same thing but like oh yeah well are you gonna watch the first half and just walk out and 
I was like, no, you're the second half is still great. It's, it's the other side of humanity, good. right? It's just as good. Yeah. It's, it's also great. Yeah. I, I think Full Metal Jacket was what I would go with. Cool. It's also, I think that, I think Full Metal Jacket was my introduction to Kubrick. It's the first one I had ever seen. Mine was a Clockwork Orange. Oh. Yeah. I, I was like, what were your parents thinking? <laughs> I watched it on TV. Uh, I didn't watch that one until late, like last year. I think. I'm pretty sure it was a Clockwork Orange. It was either Clockwork Orange or The Shining, both films that just kind of like fucked me up. Yeah, <laughs> traumatized you. Yeah. Well, for me, I'd go for Charlie Chaplin. I'd go City Lights because that is just. I haven't seen City Lights. Oh, that's beautiful. It's a nice little movie, and it's hilarious. Hitchcock, I'd go Vertigo because it's his masterpiece. I am O for two. It's difficult. You haven't seen this. <laughs> I have not seen Vertigo. Oh, Vertigo is fantastic. I saw it in Montreal. I think early, not Montreal, sorry, Edmonton. Yeah. Early this year, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, it's slow and it's like, it might be a little more difficult to get into because, again, it's one of his more cerebral films and I realize I'm recommending cold, difficult movies every friggin' week and I'm sorry. That's why I said see lights. It's easy. It's fun. Um, I think most Check out Vertigo. Just something so genius where you don't really get what's going on until halfway through they reveal something and you're like oh shit this is where it's going and it's beautiful then we get into, for Stanley Kubrick because of Dr. Strangelove because it's hilarious and for Tarantino I'm going Jackie Brown because I feel like that one's underloved not enough people have seen that it is underloved I think that's my least favorite oh, I love Tarantino it. film uh, again like less than Death Proof I love Death Proof but even there think so really yeah Jackie Brown is so good i think i'd have to i'm gonna i want to i want to like revisit it's a black exploitation i want to revisit all of these directors films yeah. as soon as possible i feel like you kill bill is the one where is probably his like feminist message but i feel yeah. like jackie brown is where he started that it, well i'm not saying i don't like it like what's all fucking pam greer man <laughs> it, it, it's that case where it's just like it's not as good as in my opinion, it's not as good as like the rest of his films, but it's still incredible. Yeah, I mean, you got to divorce yourself from all those other movies when you're watching. Try. It's so good. Just stick with it. Anyway, that's about all the time we have here today. Andres, where can they find you? You can find me on our on my Twitter and on the Letterbox site. Uh, What's your Twitter handle? Uh, they're both for Pocket Writer. All right. Uh, you can find me at at Jeff underscore Pet on Twitter and just just Jeff Pet altogether on Letterbox, spelled Letterbox without the e at the end. Yes, B O X D. So hit us some messages, comment on our Facebook, tell us what your Mount Rushmore is, and we can have a discussion maybe. <laughs> uh, exactly. Hopefully, if you're if you care enough to comment. Um, Andres, what's in your film queue for the week? So I'm going to be watching Barry Lyndon, Rocky IV, uh, Indiana Jones, The Last Crusade. Um, I'm going to try and watch Solaris and hopefully Jurassic World. Tarkovsky's Solaris, correct? Yes. Uh, right. Soderbergh's, unfortunately. Well, yeah, we're capping Yeah, we're capping your week off with Jurassic World. This should hopefully be our next episode, so yes. stay tuned. In my film queue, I have two Spike Lee movies, 25th Hour and He Got Game. Um, I can't wait for you to tell me what you think of the 25th hour, and then I want to rewatch it. Yes. Um, I have to finish my Marx Brothers 
collection. So next I'm going into Horse Feathers and Duck Soup. Duck Soup is one of the greatest movies of all time I hear. And I'm loving it. I freaking adore the Marx Brothers. And if I could redo this from Mount Rushmore, each head would just be a different Marx Brother. <laughs> <laughs> um, and after that, I got Once Upon a Time in the West on Blu-ray, which is I've been wanting to revisit because I love that movie. It's one probably my favorite Sergio Leone Western. And Saving Private Ryan. Nice. Spielberg, yeah. I want to revisit that one too, but I just saw it. It's three hours long. Is it really? So I'm going to have to wait till next weekend. I don't, like, I don't... That movie never felt that long. No, it's almost three hours. It's like two hours and 50 minutes, but... Well, then. Yeah. So, come next week, uh, we'll be doing Jurassic World, and our question is... So, if the world was ending, and we only had enough time to watch one more film, regardless of the length of the film... What film would you watch? Your final film before you die, essentially. Just one last. All right. So till next week, please consider the question. I'm Jeffrey Pettinera. And I'm Andres Guzman. Thank you for listening to Film Cube. <laughs>